0: Church, if you've got a Bible, I invite you to open up to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. We're continuing our conversation. I'm called to the cross, looking at scripture passages throughout the gospel of Mark. Um, last week, we talked about a woman that came in when Jesus was eating a meal with a lot of friends, and she broke open an alabaster jar of perfume and poured it on him and just anointed him and had this time of worship. Absolutely beautiful story. Um, today, we're continuing that. Pretty much what happens right after that. Um, which is actually all about what traditionally has been called the Last Supper, or the Lord's Supper, right? When Jesus and his friends gather in this upper room. So we're going to be reading about that in Mark 14, in just a little bit, beginning in verse 12. Um, But as we do, I mean, I want to invite you, some of us have been in church for a long time, and some of us in this church, at least, also, when we take communion every week, um, which some people say, man, that can lose its its value. I've had people tell me that, or sometimes it will become kind of routine. We want to make sure we keep that a like, holy moment and make sure we really are intentional about keeping the like, the seriousness of, of what that is. But I mean, the reason we, we do that here at Lake Point is when we just read the book of Acts and when the church got together, gathered regularly in the early church, they, they broke bread, they took communion together on a regular basis. Um, but for us that may be familiar with the story, if you're not, y'all, it's a crazy story, and I hope it just... Blows you away in a little bit if you 've never heard the story before, um, but for those that have man, I would invite you just to begin to think along the lines um, of the fact like that Jesus and his friends were real people, right We acknowledge and trust that, but even more than that, especially in this setting y 'all they were friends, like Jesus and these twelve guys didn 't just get together so that somebody could write down a few pages on a letter and talk about them for the rest of eternity. Like, Jesus and his 12 best friends, the 12 disciples, lived life together for at least three to three and a half years, right? You ever tried to live life for a week at camp with somebody, and by the end of it, you're thinking, hey, we, could, we could wrap this up. Like, this is a lot. There's a lot of one-on-one time. You know, and I'm not talking about your spouse or a close loved one or a partner. I'm, I'm talking about someone else, but to know that Jesus and these guys had intentionally lived very closely together for three years. They had poured their lives into each other, they had eaten bread together, they had fished together, very likely they had laughed together. I would think when the moon was out, they probably stayed up late around a campfire and telling jokes and stories and just being together. So I want us to think about that tonight, or tonight, this morning, especially as we really open up this passage and say, Lord, share something with me that I may have not heard before about this passage or that I may need to hear from you in the Holy Spirit. All right, So let's look at Mark chapter 14. We're just gonna read verses 12 to 16 at first here. Mark 14, beginning in verse 12. And on the day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher, with a capital T, meaning like Jesus was probably well-known enough to at least be called the teacher. The teacher says, where is my guest room? Where may I eat, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Verse 15, and he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, there. "'Prepare for us.' "'And the disciples set out and went to the city "'and found it just as he told them, "'and they prepared the Passover.'" Church, I've been reminded this week that God always provides what he requires from us, all right? God provides all that he requires from us. There have been times in my life where I have tried to go out and make a way for the Lord all by myself, He is patient and kind and loving and will let me do that. But there also have been times when I've tried to do that where I've completely exhausted myself by trying to make something out of nothing when He actually has given me everything He has required me to do. Jesus, in this story, provides the upper room where they are going to gather. Not only does he provide the upper room, he provides the furnishings in the room, which is fun for me, to know that Jesus was so good at what he did, he told his friends to find the guy with a jar of water, find the upper room, and check his chair out, right? Like everything's going to be completely set out for it. Jesus says that he would provide the upper room, the furnishings, and we know now, this side of the resurrection, that Jesus also provided the eternal Passover lamb. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, we read that the Lord says, cleanse out the old leaven, which is The same things they're doing here. They're removing old leavened bread for the Passover feast as you really are unleavened. We're seeing, oh, that's why God's been talking about unleavened bread for 2,000 years. We are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. The disciples don't know this quite yet, for they've already gone to the temple to pick up the sacrificial lamb that's been prepared for them in the temple to go back to the upper room to eat it. If you feel... At times in your life, maybe even today, the Holy Spirit leading you to do something as simple as carry a jar of water on your head. Carry a jar of water on your head. Now in our culture you're really gonna stand out because I can't even carry a 16 ounce bottle of Dasani on my, like I can't do that. When I was in Uganda this last year, it was wonderful, me and Dustin Weaver were there, Dustin Weaver and I were there, had a great time. One of the things we realized in that culture is a lot of things in the Keremijong culture in Uganda are very, very similar to first century Jerusalem, right? Especially when it comes to gender roles and the roles of kids who were shepherds. So in Karamajong, Uganda today, if you saw a man carrying water like, I tried to do multiple times, because I felt bad, because these women were carrying stuff. I was like, let me get that. And they would give you a look as if I were crazy, because men in Uganda don't carry the water. Women do. In Jesus' day, y'all, and I'll, I'm not saying, like, men, don't quote me on this on the way home. Don't tell your wife. Like, you go pick up the gallon of the teeth. Like, you bring it over here. No, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, right, that in Jesus' day... Women did certain things and men did certain things. And one of the things that women did is they got the water. Men didn't do that. So Jesus says to his disciples, go into the city, you'll find a guy carrying some water. We read that and think, well, that's sweet, like a guy's carrying water. In his day one, that would have really stood out, okay? For a man to be carrying a jar of water down the street, most people likely would have thought about that man. Where's your wife? Where's your mom? Where's your sister? Where's your niece? Where's a servant girl? This isn't something that you are supposed to be doing. But for some reason... For Jesus' words to come true, which they always do, something led a random guy near an upper room in the outskirts of Jerusalem on this particular day to pick up a jar of water, which was probably his wife, mom, or sister's job up until here, and walk down the street. You think he questioned that nudge of the Holy Spirit in his life to do that? Maybe in his prayer life that morning. We don't have those verses. We don't, excuse me. That was crazy sounding, wasn't it? I'm really good, Pollen. We don't have the lead up to that, but we do know that the man was willing to do what the Lord laid on his heart to do. So for us today, there may be times in our lives when God is leading us to do something that may not make total sense. If it matches scripture, if it's not sinful, if it is not breaking the law in most cases, sometimes now it does, Y'all, I would encourage you to, to be willing and open to doing what the Lord lays on your heart. For there may be times in our lives that God is providing something for us that He is about to require from something else, someone else. Are we willing to partake in the provision of the Lord? I've wondered that, especially about these verses this last week. We don't know if the guy walked in, set the jar of water down, and then kept on walking. We don't know if the guy lived in the house or what, but we know that the guy was carrying a jar of water. The disciples were told by Jesus when he walks into a house, that's the house we're going to meet. Let's go there. That man's role in the Passover story of Christ was so significant that he carried a jar of water for a few minutes. I do not want anyone in this building or hearing these words this week to ever think that something God is leading you to do is too insignificant for him to use. He will use everything for his glory, and he will use anyone to point other people towards him. The Lord used very common things to invest in spiritual significance. Larger Jewish houses in Jesus' day had upper rooms. Some of y'all have been to Jerusalem. Some of y'all have been to Israel. Some of these dwellings have been excavated and still there. It kind of looks like a bottom box, and then a box on top of it. That's the lower room and the upper room. These places were often accessible by an outside staircase and they were used for storage, time of quiet and meditation, or commonly a place for rabbis to teach. A rabbi would come down the road, ask if someone had an upper room. If they did, he may say to the owner of the house, I need to teach my disciples, I need to teach my students for a little while, may I use your upper room? It's ironic to me in this passage that Jesus is choosing again to identify as a rabbi, as a teacher for his students. Saying not only we're gonna have a Passover meal in this upper room, you're all about to teach you some stuff in this upper room. The Jewish day, then and now. John Callan has some friends, I didn't mean to call you out John, but it's true, as far as I know, nobody look at John um, as that work in Israel. One of John's offices for his company is in Tel Aviv, right? So John's told me Tel Aviv's wide open until 6 p.m. on a Friday when Sabbath begins. For the Jewish calendar then, just like is now, starts and ends at different times than ours do. So for the Jewish calendar, the Jewish week, the Jewish day, began at 6 p.m. So for this passage... Up until 6 p.m., it was the 13th Nisan, the day of preparation for the Passover. But the 14th Nisan, that's the day in the month in the Jewish calendar, the day of Passover itself began at 6 p.m., which is why Jesus said the Passover lamb had been prepared, and then they got to the upper room to partake, the day of preparation, the day of partaking, even though for them it might have been like 4 p.m. in the afternoon, and then around 6.30 they started the actual meal. In modern terms for us, Friday the 14th begin at 6 p.m. Thursday the 13th for them. So what were the preparations? What were the disciples instructed to do? First, in order for a Passover meal to take place, they had to remove all unleavened bread from the house. As we were saying about just a minute ago, all unleavened bread from the house had to be removed. They needed a lamb, kind of the central focal point, which would have been sacrificed at the temple. There's a Jewish historian by the name of Josephus who wrote a lot of historical data about this time period. Josephus, in some of his writings, said that on the day of Passover, over 250,000 lambs would have been slain in the temple in preparation for all the meals to take place. What does that mean? The temple would have very likely been a bloody mess by this point. The lamb was to be roasted over an open fire pit on a spit made from pomegranate wood. God is specific in detail. The whole lamb with the tail, the head, the legs, all still attached. So his disciples are challenged to find a guy with a jar of water, go up to an upper room, make sure there's no unleavened bread in there, get the lamb, get it prepared, get it on the fire, and have everything prepared for him to come and partake. Why are all these things listed? Do you ever read through some of the Old Testament and think, man, the Lord's given some specific detail, but I'm getting lost in the weeds here? Everything the Lord says is intentional, even if the revelation of that doesn't take place for another five, six hundred, seven hundred, or a thousand years. Naturally, the Lamb was to remind the Israelites then and all of us now of how their houses have been protected. By the badge of blood. We got into that last week a little bit. How when the first Passover took place in the book of Exodus, the Lord told Moses, go and sacrifice a lamb, put the blood of the lamb over your doorpost. If the blood's over the doorpost, I will pass over that door and will not take the firstborn son. So it's a literal passing over of the Lord's movement. Unleavened bread to remind the Israelites in Jesus' day, the Jewish people in Jesus' day, that they needed to be quick departing from Egypt and have time for the bread to rise. Bowl of salt water would be present to remind of the miracle of the Red Sea as they were walking across the Red Sea on dry land. Bitter herbs would have been present to remind of the bitterness of slavery that they were escaping. A paste called Cherisheth, which was a mixture of apples, radishes, lettuce, a lot of other fun stuff, to remind of the bitterness of their lives that God was rescuing them out of. And also there would have been four cups of wine present at the meal. Four cups of wine that are symbolic of these verses from Exodus chapter six, verses six through seven, when the Lord says, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. He says, I will do four things. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgments, and I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burden's of the Egyptians. In the Passover meal in Jesus' day, they would have four cups of wine present. Each cup would represent one of the things the Lord promised them as he was bringing them out of the Egyptian land. This plan that Jesus is partaking in in this moment had been prepared centuries before. Is there any way that Moses, in the craziness of his life, in the stress of his life, in the Israelites' lives, in the stress of leaving the most powerful kingdom on the planet at that time to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, had any way of knowing that one day Yeshua, the Messiah, would sit in an upper room with his disciples, quoting some of the exact same things that they were doing, knowing that it was all one giant arrow pointing to him. I don't think they understood that. Just because they didn't understand it didn't mean God had planned it. God pays attention to the details of our lives. Scripture goes on to say in Mark 14, verses 17 to 21. And when it was evening, he came with the 12. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me who is eating with me. They, all the disciples there, began to be sorrowful and said to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Is it I? the disciples begin to ask, is it I? I had a conversation with Fulton Pritchett this last week, who is often just about every Sunday back in our sound booth. And he shared some really interesting things about this quick question here, is it I? So I asked him to come this morning during the sermon, just share that. All right. So we're going to give probably just 15, 20 minutes to Fulton and he's going to, no, not really. A bunch of people looked up though, just a little bit. Fulton, would you come, man? As we talked about that earlier this week began to prepare in the sermon. And he began to share with me how this question's kind of been a part of his communion life as he has conversations with the Lord and he's taken of communion. So I asked him this morning if he'd be willing to come and share this with us today. Thank you, Fulton. My bad. He's already turned it on because he controls the sound booth. Thanks, hey Fulton.
1: So um, some of you know me, some of you don't know me. Um, I help the sound every now and then, but some of you, uh, I did theater growing up, and so it's kind of a weird thing. Some people think it's weird, I think it's fun. So, um, uh, senior year in high school, I did a sh- musical g- called Godspell. Now, I don't know if any of you know that show, but it's, um, it's a very interesting new age take on the 12 disciples and Jesus. So, I had the honor of playing Judas. Now, it sounds funny saying honor, but, um, it was, um, it was a very interesting role to be able to, uh, I guess, follow Jesus and be able to be one of his most loving and follower, trusted followers and actually seeing the turn to turning into evil. Um, so when we actually did the Lord's Supper together, um, the, uh, we all were gathering around the circle. We did it in the round, which also, I don't know, many of you don't know theater. Theater in the round is very difficult. So we all had our backs to the entire uh, audience, which made it even more difficult for the actual, I guess, um, sincerity of the part, sincerity of the actual um, role that you're being able to play. And so when we all sat down and we started communion, Jeremiah, the kid who was playing Jesus, actually started praying. It was the closing night. One of the coolest experiences I've ever been a part of. Um, Wasn't scripted, wasn't in the script at all. He just started praying. And it totally uh, brought us all together. And it was just a very interesting moment. Not only what you were saying, they were friends. And in that moment, we weren't the 12 disciples. I wasn't Judas. John the Baptist was sitting next to me. They were my friends. And we were actually fellowshipping together and having communion together um so when i told danny this this past week um i haven't told anybody else this before and it's not that i was like not trying to tell anybody but i thought i never really thought it was important but it was important to me that every time i've taken communion since that day first question i ask is is it i um it could be you i feel like this is going to be controversial but every every one of us has a little bit of judas in us and i know that's really hard and weird to hear but we do we have every single one of us has judas in us and it doesn't say in the script we look through it but it doesn't say in the script if he actually had the lord's supper or not they're dipping in the dish but it doesn't talk about the bread or the wine Um, and I think Jesus wanted Judas there. Jesus wanted the awkwardness. He loves awkward. That's weird. But he wants, you, he wants to call you out on what you're doing wrong. He wants you to admit what you're doing wrong. And um, I, guess, I guess what I'm saying is um, when he asked, is it I, Lord? Is it I? And all the other disciples were, I guess, scared that it could be them. They all were asking, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? They didn't know if they were going to be the one to betray him. No one knew. Jesus knew who it was. Jesus knew the second he met Judas. You're going to betray me and you're going to ha- be the reason I'm killed. Um, so I think every time I take communion, I ask, is it I? Not thinking of what my next sin is going to be. Because all of us make mistakes. I'm sure some of us made mistakes this morning. Nothing that can't be forgiven but all of us make mistakes and that's why every time I ask myself um what will I do next to disappoint him not disappoint him but what will I have to ask forgiveness for because you don't know you don't know what your next sin will be you don't know what you'll do tomorrow you don't know what you'll do in five minutes from now only he will know and it's just so interesting that he, anything you do, he will forgive you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it truly incredible. Mm-hmm. And um, if you'd like to be able to pray, if that's all right. Yeah, let's pray. But I think. Uh, dear Lord, thank you. Just thank you for being who you are. Thank you for your amazing power and your work in our lives. Thank you for your goodness, your grace, your blessings and your love for all, each and every single one of us. Thank you for your incredible, amazing sacrifice that gave us all freedom and life. Just please forgive us for not loving and thanking you enough for who you are or what you've done or what you've even given. Please just help us set our eyes upon you and you alone. Lord, we love you and we need you every day, not just today, but for every day to come. We pray for you, to you today, God, to give you thanks and praise for you are only worthy. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Fulton. Yeah. I appreciate my friend for sharing that. Fulton did it there. Um, two things about that. One. I guess some people get nervous. I mean, if I say something, Danny's going to call me on stage. That wasn't the goal. That wasn't the goal. Um, But mostly y'all to remember when we think about this question, is it I? I want us to ask ourselves that this morning. None of us in this room are going to have the opportunity to sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver to a group of Pharisees. That has already taken place. It has already gone down as historical fact. No one's questioning that. But you and I have a much greater opportunity to sell him out for a lot less this is just for the Christians in the room. If you're not a Christian, he died for your sins and he wants to know you and redeem you. For the Christians in the room, you're responsible for your sins outside of the teachings of Christ, outside of the love and the redemption of Christ. To know that when Jesus was at this first Passover meal and the first days of it in Exodus, they ate standing up because God wanted them to be ready to run and to leave. But at this table, they're reclining. It says Jesus was reclining at the table. In Jesus' day, Yo, they would, I mean, just lay down, and eat some food. I'm just really enjoy this. Only difference between then and Exodus and this time with Jesus. The sign of eating, reclining at a table was the sign of a free man, a free person being able to have a home in a country of his own. I've wondered this week if Jesus, when he was saying these words, remembering the words from David in Psalm 41, nine, when David wrote, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Jesus knew what was going to happen. Jesus knew the heart of Judas, even when no one else did. Judas was present when Jesus fed 5,000 people. Judas was present when Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb. Judas was present when Jesus walked on water. Judas was present for the campfire stories with Jesus as he explained the law and him being the fulfillment of the law. Judas was present For three years, hear this, this is very important. Judas was present for three years of face-to-face, hand-to-hand, literal -literal bread-to-literal-mouth contact with the Savior of the world, and he missed it. If that was the case for him, and you and I live in the most distracted culture to ever walk on the planet... There is a chance, church, that we may at times miss it. Which is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is never pointed to us, but is pointed on the only one who never misses it. It's not about me, it's not about you, it's about Christ. Why? Because he knew Judas was going to betray him. And he still called him to be his disciple. Did he do that just to fulfill the scripture because God knew that all these things were going to happen? I think that was part of it, but I think that Jesus was so much better than me. All the time. Can we be honest with each other for a second with just a few of our friends in the rain? How many times has someone done us wrong or we know they might do us wrong and what do we want to do? Not today, Satan, right? Hear me. This is tough, right? Hear this. This is convicting. Jesus never Did that. Well, I know somebody else that did it. Well, make them your savior. They never died on the cross for you. Jesus did. And Jesus said what? All are welcome to come into my table. All are welcome to eat of my bread and drink of my cup. Well, God, you don't know the people I know. I fully believe in this moment Jesus would tell you to shut your mouth. Because he does know them. And he still allowed him to eat from the cup, drink from the cup and eat from the Why did Jesus wait until this moment? Why didn't Jesus say, all right, fellas, Judas is about to sell us out. You know why? Because Peter already had his hand on the sword. You know what I'm talking about? Peter's ready to slay some people for the kingdom. Jesus, I truly believe, knew without a doubt, this is my opinion, that if Judas had been sold out in front of the people, one of the disciples would have said, I knew it, that jerk, come on. And they would have taken him out back and laid him out. I have no doubt. But Jesus didn't do that. Why? Two reasons. One, he knew what was upon his life. And Jesus knew what was required of him. But also, as Fulton said, I think Jesus also wanted all the disciples to be aware that any of them could have sold him out at any moment in human history. And he wants us to know the same. We cannot hide from Christ. One person once said, Our thoughts lie open to thy sight and naked to thy glance. Our secret sins are in thy light of thy pure countenance. Is it I? Couldn't Jesus have said in this moment to every person eating around the table with him, yes, it is. Not everybody was gonna sell him for 30 pieces of silver, but everybody was gonna deny him. As Fulton said at communion time, in just a little bit, we take communion. Am I gonna sell you out, Lord? Am I gonna sin? Am I deserving of being guilty for putting you on the cross? I do hear this? I think Jesus, with all the holiness of God, could say in response, yes, it is. Is it my fault Jesus died on the cross? Yes. Did he really die? Yes, he died for your sins. If you've ever sinned, Jesus died for you. We can blame Judas for selling for 30 pieces of silver, but we only have ourselves to blame for his crucifixion on the cross which is why Jesus could always say yes it is to Judas and every one of us who has sinned since becoming a Christian or prior. But I truly believe because I know him and I've read about him and I've dedicated my life to him that Jesus could also say but my grace is sufficient. His mercy is more. In Romans 5, 20 to 21, now the law came to the increase the trespass but where sin increased grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Was this one last appeal from Jesus to Judas? Possibly. A final warning for Judas? Very likely. But Jesus didn't force Judas to stop. What would have happened in this moment if Jesus had said, Judas, man, how could you do this to me? He didn't force him to stop. God has given all of us the wills that are free. His love appeals, his truth warns, but there is no compulsion. In the end, outside of Christ, there is no one more responsible for our sins but ourselves. The disciples asked, is it I? Are we asking the same question today? If we are, may we remember That Christ says, it is us, but he is more. Verses 22 to 26, as we prepare to enter into communion together, and as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day, until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. It's the Lord's Supper. I believe at the Lord's Supper in Jesus' day, they had four cups of wine on the table as been instructed in Exodus chapter 6. The first cup would have been taken and drank from as they were in the first part of the meal. That was the cup of sanctification or separation when God said to the people of Israel, I will bring you out of Egypt. These disciples had eaten this meal for however many years they've been alive, they'd have done it that many years, right? They were familiar with the customs. Jesus would have taken that cup, drank from it, and they'd have done the stuff cup of deliverance would have been the second cup when God said to his people, I will deliver you from the hands of the Egyptians. The disciples would have been familiar with that. They would have understood. I know this is where we're going. This is our people. God's delivered us. But I believe on this day, something happened that they had never seen before. I believe that when Jesus got to the third cup, which was called the cup of redemption, when God promised to redeem his people, I believe in this moment that Jesus took that cup and said, I am the redemption So for the first time in the lives of these men, they would have seen, you're it. You're claiming to be the redeemer of all of Israel. So when Jesus said, dip from my cup, he's saying, dip from the redeemer. When he says, drink from my cup, he's saying, drink from that which only I can bring. There never has been and never will be one like me. They would have taken the fourth cup, which was the cup of praise. During the cup of redemption, they would have had a prayer of thanksgiving which would have contained a petition for the coming Messiah. When Jesus introduced the new covenant of the Lamb, I believe that they very well could have been in the middle of that prayer, praying for the Messiah to come when Jesus said, oh, I'm offering a new covenant made of my blood, unlike the covenant of old from the law. William Barclay says this, in the last sentence, we see again to things we have often seen Jesus was sure of two things. He knew he was to die, and he knew his kingdom would come. He was certain of the cross, but just as certain of the glory. And the reason was that he was just as certain of the love of God as he was the sin of man. And he knew in the end that love would conquer sin. What we're about to do in just a moment here, as the praise team comes up, and take communion together, I want you to know that I believe God had this prepared, this gathering, this meal, this remembrance prepared before the world began. Before the world was created, I truly believe God had prepared a way for him and you to have a relationship with one another. To know that all of us are invited to eat of the bread and drink from the cup. I would invite you this morning to, to consider a few things as we prepare to take communion together. First, if you have not repented of your sins and called Christ as Lord, we invite you to let the cup pass from you. Jesus says that all are welcome to come to the table, but this cup is for his children and those who believe If you have unrepented sins in your life, if you have something in your life that you have not confessed before the Lord, Scripture says we are to take this very seriously and repent and confess that before him before we eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Thank him for redeeming you with outstretched arms on the cross. I want all of us to be fully aware and trust that while Jesus was on the cross, dying for the sins of the world in agony, you were on his mind. Scripture says, God made him that knew no sin to become sin for us, which means God doesn't only know about your sin because he watched a Netflix documentary on you in the future. He knows about your sin because Jesus became your sin, which means if we believe in the Trinity, God the Father knows what it is like to be you and me, sinners before him the worst you've ever felt from any sin you've ever committed, according to what scripture says that Jesus did, God took that upon himself. To know that when no one else, what it's like to be me, God does because of what Jesus has done. I invite you to praise him for his grace, praise him for his mercy, praise him for his forgiveness. And if you can, just for a moment, I'd invite you to think maybe you're sitting around the table right with Jesus <clears throat> and you know that you have betrayed him. Church, if you are honest with yourself, we have all betrayed him. If you have ever sinned, well, my sin, no, don't, let's not define, if you've ever sinned, you have betrayed Christ. He was crucified on the cross for me and for you. Sometimes when I dwell on that, I do get down because it's heavy. And I think God wants us to dress in sackcloth and ashes sometimes and acknowledge what we've done. But even more than that, I want us to envision the face of Christ and to think that Jesus said in this moment before he took communion with his disciples, he said, I'm not going to drink from the cup again until one day when all my kids are gathered before me, then I'm going to take the cup. To know that the next time Jesus takes communion, he's with us as we take communion. I think his spirit is fully alive in this presence. But the scripture says the next time he will drink from that cup, everyone who has ever confessed him to the Lord will be right in front of him. And I believe this with all of my heart. That in that moment, he will declare over all the universe, everyone that is drinking from this cup is worthy of the love of God. Everyone that is confessing Christ as Lord is worthy of grace and forgiveness. You can't do it on your own. I can't do it on our own. But nowhere in Scripture are we required to do so. For us to acknowledge and confess and proclaim this morning that it is only in Christ, it is only by the grace of Christ that we are able to come boldly before his throne of grace and eat of this bread and drink from this cup. So I invite you now as we eat of the bread and drink from the cup, remember, This represents the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, our eternal savior. There is nothing you can do to escape his love. And there's nothing you can do that he was not already able to conquer on the cross. Let us pray together. Lord, as we take this communion today, we know that there have been times in our lives where we have sold Jesus out for a lot less than 30 pieces of silver. Lord, if we were to ask ourselves the question, is it I? We know that all of us, if we are honest, would have to say, yes, it is I. Lord, help us hold fast to you and to what you've done. Lord, if there's anyone here that has never confessed Christ as Lord, let right now be the moment that they join in your kingdom. Confess him as Lord. Scripture says, if we confess Christ as Lord of our lives and believe in our hearts that God is for raising from the dead, we will be saved Jesus was thinking about all of us when he was on the cross, but he was also thinking about all of us when he rose triumphantly from the grave. Lord, I don't understand your grace. I don't understand your mercy, but I am thankful to know that the next time Jesus drinks from this cup, we will be in his presence together. Forgive us, Lord. Redeem us. Remind us of who we are in Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We invite you to eat of the bread and drink of the cup, church, as we celebrate who Christ is and what he has done. May we thank him for being faithful and put our trust in him alone. After you invite, take communion, we invite you to stand with us as we sing our closing song. If there's something I can pray with you about or someone else can, we invite you to come forward. Let's spend this time with the Lord confessing what he has done and who he is.